You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the Colorado Outdoors Magazine, January-February 2023, Volume 72, Number 1. My name is John Arnold, and today we'll be reading about big guys, little fellas, learning about the world of difference between big bull and spike elk. And next, we'll learn how Colorado Parks and Wildlife Officers are ready for wolves. Big Guys, Little Fellas There's a world of difference between big bull and spike elk. Hunting with that in mind is the best way to find success. Article by Jack Bollard The variation in size of professional hoopsters in the NBA is underappreciated by many followers of the sport. Isaiah Thomas, a two-time NBA All-Star, heads the list of the shortest players in the 2021-22 season at 5 feet 9 inches. Taco Fall was the tallest at 7 feet 6 inches, 30% taller than the average man in the U.S. The difference in height of NBA players drives divergent roles on the court. Shorter guys play on the perimeter, launching three-point shots and running fast breaks. The tall man inhabit the interior, jostling for rebounds and picking up points from short range. In the world of elk, a similar divergence of size and behavioral roles exists for males of the species. Just as those who think about an NBA player as a singular entity fail to fully understand the game of basketball, hunters who envision a bull elk as a consistent critter make an identical error. Bull elk vary dramatically in size and age. Those characteristics are associated with different roles within elk society. Understanding the variations enables hunters to most capably prepare for various types of bull elk hunt in relation to gear, habitat, and logistics. Here's what to consider. Bulk the mass of all elk is limited by the nutrition provided by the local habitat, but some useful averages apply. But elk that are yearlings, around 1.5 years of age during the fall hunting season, weigh about 450 pounds, about the same or slightly less than average than an average cow elk. In nutritionally productive habitat, bull elk may continue to gain weight until age 10, achieving a weight of 800 pounds or more. Exceptionally weighty older bulls may carry a mass nearly twice as heavy as a yearling's. Bull elk mature substantially between their first and second set of antlers. At two and a half years, most bulls weigh around 550 pounds. They're now heavier than all but the largest cows. In most hunting units in Colorado and elsewhere in the Rocky Mountains, these animals account for the majority of the bull harvest each season. Hunting for yearling, spike, bull elk, is allowed in some Colorado hunting units. More commonly, the harvest is limited to bulls with four points, antler tines, on an antler, or brow line, an antler point that is at least five inches long on the lower half of the antler. Hunters looking for a large bull with six points and long, heavy beams find the best success in hunting units that restrict the number of licenses to bull elk to allow animals to live longer. The varying weight of spikes versus older bulls demands careful consideration in relation to cartridge choices. Current hunting regulations require a centerfire rifle of at least .24 caliber 
with a minimum bullet weight of 85 grains that carries 1,000 foot-pounds of energy at 100 yards for elk. This generally describes the characteristics of cartridges such as the 243 Winchester and the 6mm Remington, both developed over 50 years ago, and newer versions like the 6mm Creedmoor released in 2017. While legal for all bull elk hunting, triggering such a round on anything but a spike at short range, no more than 150 yards, is like towing a horse trailer with a Subaru. As a young adult hunter, toting the only rifle I owned, I once killed what I'm sure was a two-and-a-half-year-old bull with a 243 Winchester. Standing broadside at 200 yards, it took three perfectly placed 100-grain bullets just behind the front shoulder to put the bull down. I've not hunted elk with it since. Cartridges of this size are adequate for deer and pronghorn, but for bull elk, they're marginal for even the little fellows. What we'll call younger-aged bulls, those commonly harvested two-and-a-half and three-and-a-half-year-old stags, normally carry four-point to modest six-point racks. They can be effectively harvested at a normal hunting range of 250 yards or fewer, with cartridges pushing bullets weighing 130 grains or more, with a muzzle velocity of 2,700 feet per second or more. This includes venerable cartridges like the 270 Winchester and the 260 Remington, along with the newer, friendlier offerings like the 6.5mm Creedmoor. My oldest son dropped his first elk, a burly, young-aged bull, with a 5x6 rack with a 260 Remington. After a solid hit at 90 yards with a 140-grain bullet, the bull was down within seconds. Older-aged bulls are the big guys. These are the four-and-a-half-year-olds and older, stalwarts of the species, whose weight can easily equal or exceed 650 pounds. Along with their increased bulk, other physical attributes protect them from injury, be it a hunter's bullet or the rack of a rival in combat. The hide along their neck and front shoulders gets thick. Bones supporting all that weight become massive. Once, while a friend and I retrieved the quarters of one such bull, my dog Percy grabbed a discarded lower foreleg as his trophy from the hunt. Percy's bone was so big that he could barely carry it to the vehicle. Heavier bullets are needed to effectively dispatch the big guys. Think of cartridges capable of pushing a 150-grain bullet from the muzzle at 2,800 feet per second or somewhat less muzzle velocity for heavier projectiles. This equates to minimums like the 270, along with the traditional 30 caliber cartridges such as the 308 Winchester and the 30 6 my wife Lisa and I have killed five bulls I consider among the big guys. Lisa downed an exceptional 7x5 with an estimated age of 6 to 8 years with her 270 loaded with a 150 grain Nosler partition at 200 yards with one shot. I used the same rifle and cartridge on a 6x8 of similar size at 300 yards with perfect conditions allowing for a lethal first hit and a second insurance shot. The biggest bull I've killed, a mammoth 6x6 with an estimated weight of 800 pounds, fell to a single round from a 160-grain 308 Marlin Express at 150 yards. For all bull elk, consider not only the cartridge, but the ammunition. Choose bullets designed for penetration, not expansion. 
Copper bullets are excellent choices for bulls as they penetrate deeply and won't fragment as easily as lead. Avoid ammunition advertised with terms like rapid expansion and large wound channels. A bullet that flies apart on impact with a bull elk shoulder blade won't penetrate effectively to its vital organs. Along with cartridge choices, be sure to think about logistics of game retrieval when planning a bull elk hunt. Packing a spike back to a trailhead is similar to retrieving a cow. Drop a younger-aged bull, and the workload increases. Punch your tag with one of the big guys, and the effort increases dramatically. The Goliath 6x6 mentioned previously amongst our big guy harvest was so heavy I couldn't dislodge the carcass from the base of the lodgepole pine against which he had fallen on the modest slope. It yielded nearly 240 pounds of boned meat. Retrieving it in backpacks in three loads of three-mile round trips across trailless terrain was one of the supreme physical challenges of my adult life. The cape, head, and antlers required another haul of nearly 90 pounds. Harvesting one of the big guys is a privilege for any hunter, but make sure you have a plan in place for the packing before shooting. Behavior Mature bulls vigorously rub velvet from their antlers in late summer. A few weeks later, they begin to bugle and seek cows as a prelude to the breeding season. By contrast, spikes spend less time polishing their antlers and bugling. Some don't rub the velvet from their first set of antlers at all, or don't completely finish the job. They bugle infrequently, and are usually found with herds of cows prior to the rut. As older bulls claim harems at the beginning of the mating season, spikes get the boot. They spend the rut apart or on the fringes of larger herds, often found alone or in small groups. However, in areas where the elk population holds a very low percentage of older age bulls, some spikes may remain with the cows. After the rut, many spikes rejoin the cow herds. Hunting in late October and early November, I've seen as many as a dozen spike bulls in a herd of 50 cows. The next class of males we call the younger age bulls sire most of the calves across Colorado. Less capable of holding together a harem than the big guys, competition between these animals during the rut is sometimes fierce. Those that fail to control a group of cows are usually on the prowl for unattached females. During the rut, it's often possible to locate these bulls or lure them with an arrow or muzzleloader range with a bugle or cow call, the latter often being the most effective. After the rut, some younger-aged bulls stay with the cow herds until winter, but many of them retreat from the females to form bachelor bands. These groups commonly range in size from a pair of bulls traveling together to a band of ten animals or more. Bulls achieving sufficient age to put them in the big guy category are quite scarce except in units managed for them or in extremely rugged or remote habitat. Reducing the number of tags available for bull harvest is really the only sure way to usher a significant percentage of male bulk elk into this age bracket. They may also be found in units flush with private land that receive reduced hunting pressure. The biggest, toughest actors on the stage the big guys dominate the breeding hierarchy. A seven-year-old bull may manage a harem of 30 cows, something quite unlikely for a bull that's yet to shed his second set of antlers. Older bulls are sometimes very vocal during the rut, 
but in many places, they learn that frequent bugling leads to frequent encounters with two-legged predators, and they clam up. Even if an older bull is bugling as he shepherds a large cow herd, it doesn't mean he'll respond to a well-tuned whistle from a hunter. Confronted with what appears to be the noise of a rival, many sagacious old bulls will simply clamp their gums shut and prod their cows into the next drainage. However, listening for the bugles of older bulls or coaxing them to reply to your own bugle is still a useful method for locating them. On some occasions, you might incite a herd bull to break away from his cows if you get close to the band and enhance your calling act by thrashing a small tree and goring the earth with a stick to indicate there's a real, virile rival invading the herd bull's domain. Like younger males, older age bulls typically depart from the cow herds after the rut. Some of them join bachelor bands containing a range of age classes. But the big guys are much more likely to be found as solitary wanderers than their juniors. If you hunt the later elk seasons, be on the lookout for large, single tracks, the telltale signs of a lone bull. With good tracking and stalking skills, it's possible to sneak up on such an animal. Still hunting, moving slowly and carefully while scanning your surroundings, is another good technique for hunting older bulls. Focus your efforts in heavy timber on moderately steep slopes or other areas avoided by other hunters. One season, the folks in my elk camp dropped three six-point bulls. Each of them was killed in or near heavy timber. All were taken by still hunting, and each was alone. There's a world of difference between the big guys and the little fellows in the world of Wapiti. Hunting with those contrasts in mind is the best way to find not just a bull elk, but the one you're seeking. Jack Ballard has written four books and hundreds of articles on elk and elk hunting. He is the 2022 recipient of the Outdoor Writers Association of America's prestigious Excellence in Craft Award, which honors a career of outstanding contribution to outdoor journalism. Ready for Wolves from training in Wyoming to investigations on the ground in North Park, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Officers are trained and ready for wolves. Article by Travis Duncan When wolves were suspected of killing livestock on the Park Range Ranch in North Park in Colorado, ranch manager Johnny Schmidt called Colorado Parks and Wildlife and studied the response of CPW District Wildlife Manager Zach Weaver. Schmidt was familiar with how the Wyoming Game and Fish Department investigated wolf livestock depredation claims. Schmidt was curious if Colorado wildlife officers were up to the challenge of wolf depredations investigations, and he put Weaver to the test. Schmidt said Weaver easily passed the test. Zach did a really good job, and I was impressed, Schmidt said. He was very professional and knew what he was doing. He wasn't the kind of kid sleeping in the class or shooting spitwads. He'd been paying attention. Weaver approached the case like a seasoned Wyoming officer with years of wolf experience to draw upon, Schmidt said. He eliminated everything as far as other possibilities besides wolves and did everything procedurally correct, Schmidt said. He started with a big circle and worked his way in. He looked for a lot of good stuff. For Weaver, it was another day on the job involving active management to address conflicts between wolves people, livestock, and other wildlife species. 
I've done each of these investigations the same, Weaver said. I go into it like any other depredation investigation. When they tell me it's a predator, I go in and look at the totality. Besides learning how to carefully examine the scene where livestock died and determine the cause, Weaver said he has learned another important lesson, treating ranchers with respect. I talked to Johnny and asked him questions like, What other animals have been seen there? Weaver said. Have there been any recent wolf sightings? Have there been any bear or lion tracks in the snow? I'm establishing what's in the area. CPW livestock depredation investigations are critical if a ranch is to be reimbursed for a loss. CPW must determine if the death was caused by big game or wolves before the agency will reimburse a rancher for a loss. The one thing that is always telltale is the carcass, Weaver says. If the carcass has bite marks, typically there's hemorrhaging. In certain locations, that can tell us which animal depredated on that animal. If Weaver reminded Schmidt of a Wyoming wildlife officer, there's a good reason. Training in Wyoming From August 30th through September 1st, 2022, Weaver was one of six CPW staff members who attended a three-day wolf livestock depredation investigation training event in Wyoming hosted by the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, WGFD. The training included both classroom presentations by WGFD staff as well as field experience looking at wolf livestock depredations. This was a real value training opportunity for our field staff, said CPW Game Damage Manager Luke Hoffman. The folks who organized and hosted this training for CPW are dedicated professionals who are extremely knowledgeable with all the facets of livestock depredation investigations. CPW was able to see how Wyoming Game and Fish conducts its investigations for wolf livestock depredations and the type of evidence to look for. On the first day of training, officers performed a field necropsy on a calf that had died as a result of wolf depredation and were able to see rake marks on the outer side that correlated to hemorrhaging underneath the hide. Field necropsies are really important to conduct during investigations, Hoffman said. If damage occurred while the animal was still alive, hemorrhaging will be visible in the underlying muscle tissue once the hide is removed. An example is when wolves rake livestock with their front canines. You'll see physical rake marks on the outer hide of the animal and hemorrhaging associated with the damage under the hide. This was critical training, and I'm glad our staff got a lot out of it, Hoffman said. We're expected to be the experts at investigating livestock damage, and we make every effort to respond in a timely manner and conduct a thorough investigation. As wolves expand across the state, we'll need our CPW staff who investigate livestock depredations to be ready to respond to those. The wolf-specific training in Wyoming is in addition to extensive game damage investigation training CPW's district wildlife managers received during their first year with the agency. During this training, DWMs receive training in all types of damage for which CPW is statutorily liable for. CPW staff have also received wolf livestock depredation and wolf livestock conflict minimization techniques training in 2021 and 2022 from Wyoming Game and Fish and USDA Wildlife Services during CPW's annual Conservation Days training. There's a good chance that every DWM in the state will encounter damage claims in their career, Hoffman said. So it's not a new thing for us to be investigating livestock depredation. 
We've been doing it for decades for bear and lion claims, and we do an excellent job. This was an excellent opportunity to get hands-on experience with wolf livestock investigations. CPW Wolf Conflict Coordinator Adam Baca also attended the training in Wyoming and cited the value of the field training. Over several days, we got to go out and identify a wolf trail versus an unregulated trail and discuss types of typography wolves like to run and den in, Baca says. We got to learn some of those key places to look for wolf presence. The experience was really detailed, really in-depth. Wolf Restoration and Management in Colorado The in-depth training in Wyoming makes all three CPW staffers confident that Schmidt was right. CPW wildlife officers will be ready to investigate wolf livestock depredation claims around the state. And that is critical, since the draft Colorado Wolf Restoration and Management Plan directly addresses livestock conflicts and compensation. The draft says, Wolf livestock conflicts will be addressed on a case-by-case basis using a combination of appropriate management tools, including education, non-lethal conflict minimization techniques, lethal take of wolves in rare cases involving livestock depredation, and damage payments. The draft is available to view at the CPW website, cpw.state.co.us slash wolves. The details of the draft plan could be changed before the final plan is approved by the Commission. Details from the Draft Plan The primary goal of the draft plan is to identify the steps needed to recover and maintain a viable, self-sustaining wolf population in Colorado, while concurrently working to minimize wolf-related conflicts with domestic animals, other wildlife, and people. The public can comment on the draft plan online and in public meetings through February 22, 2023 by visiting engagecpw.org. Input from the Stakeholder Advisory Group and the Technical Working Group was instrumental in developing a science-based plan that incorporated important social considerations. CPW staff are attending meetings now and through the coming months with local decision-makers, producers, and other interested groups to communicate a clear understanding of the rules, tools, and tactics for producers and livestock owners working in areas where wolves are present. Officers are distributing printed copies in English and in Spanish of CPW's Guide to Reduce Depredation with Actions that Can Be Implemented to Minimize Wolf-Livestock Conflicts. Travis Duncan is a public information officer for Colorado Parks and Wildlife in Denver. He has lived in Colorado for nearly 20 years and loves the outdoors. Thank you for joining us for the Colorado Outdoors Magazine, January-February 2023 edition. My name is John Arnold. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.